until then. May Hashem have an aliyah. We are, we are a few days before Lagba Aymer, as well as we are learning a series of medicine and Talmud. And let's bring it, this all together. So let me give another, go back to one of the things we spoke about in the intro to this series, which is on one hand, the utmost, the most sacred mitzvah of preservation of life, which we have, regardless of what's called quality of life. But on the other hand, on the other hand, to be, to be aware that in halacha, in Torah, in the halachic part of Torah, um, it's not always alive or not alive. So in the heavy, not pleasant topic, we're going to speak about it just for a moment, at the end of one's life, it's not that the person is living and then they passed away. There is a halachic time period in which we consider this to be a person who is passing away. And there are halachic consequences of that. For example, just for example, if a person is at the end of one's life, in the process of dying, let's define this even clearer halachically, if the medicine, if the knowledge that we have at this time, the doctors are saying that this person has a few days to live or a few hours to live. Right, the term for that in halach is called goises or goses. That's gimel vav samach samach. Person is at the end of life. It doesn't mean that the person will pass away. Sometimes a miracle happens or that which we cannot explain happen. But by the laws of nature, this person is already in the process of passing. If God forbid someone were to kill them, will they be tried in a Jewish court and if found guilty, put to death for murder. I want you to know the answer is no. What they did is not kosher. But halachically, you can't say that they murdered someone. We would term this, I think the best English term, I hope the people from Spanish have something similar, from Mexico is manslaughter. There is a legal term here called manslaughter. Manslaughter is not only about it not being intentional, but halacha would call an act of, as halacha will define an act of manslaughter versus murder, whether the person whom they killed was in the process of dying regardless. And that's why we spoke about last week that it's wrong to say that we always have the obligation to intrusively extend life. We don't, we don't. When a person is in, is the, when the person is defined as a person who is dying, then there is in halacha, we're speaking all theoretically, I'm not speaking practically, a person would have the right to say um, DNR. DNR is a term in English, means do not resuscitate. DNR means that don't make another effort to extend a life which is bringing me a lot of pain, for example which anyways is finite, not finite, we are all gonna live finite, but it's finite because there's just a small amount of time to go. A person can refuse treatment, halachically, theoretically, because it's not your, if you're alive, you have to live. Well, yes and no, there is, there is, there is a gray area in between. And let's interpret medicine. So what would medicine be? Medicine would be an intrusion 
an action that we take that will keep the connection between the body and the soul longer as it would be without this treatment, without this therapy. Okay? So therefore, let's define even life. Life will be defined as the connection between the body and the soul. And death should be defined as the disconnect between the body and the soul. The soul doesn't die. I would even argue the body doesn't die. Only something that's alive can die. The body, to begin with, is not alive per se. The body is just a piece of earth. Life is the connection between the body and the soul. And the, 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 the goal of medicine would be to lengthen, to extend that connection. I'm saying things that are obvious, but they have to be spoken out. And sometimes people get confused in the semantics. So I'll, I want to give you a very important word that is very much misused. Nefesh. How would you interpret the word nefesh? Soul. So right. nefesh is one of the names of the soul. But when it says in the Chumash that when God put the soul blue, the spirit into Adam and Chava and they became a nefesh chayo, in that context, which is in a broader context, not a, let's break down the soul and give names to every level, nefesh I will translate as a person. The definition of nefesh is a person, and the meaning of a person is this very miraculous, that we got used to, combination, shidduch, between a body and a soul. Can you say vitality? Like I want to call nefesh, nefesh is the person. The person is specifically, like, let me, let me give you an example. When you have a corporation, see, a corporation is made of many, many individuals, but they form a corporation. Life is a corporation. The branding. No. It's a corporation between body and soul. Cooperation. The branding. Your image. Your personality. Right. And the body. Everything together. What's that? Nefesh, or a person, is the, is the, is the partnership, let's say. A partnership between body and soul. Nefesh... In, in the biblical sense, unless we're learning Kabbalah, which we're, you're familiar with, the word nefesh is not the, a name of a soul. Nefesh is the, is the phenomena of the merging of, of the partnership between the body and the soul, which are very different. And while we are alive, they become one. They form a corporation. You are a corporation. And that wouldn't be called life. And that is what we are calling life. Now, in a, in a theological sense, life is really the soul. Life is the name of God. But when we speak about health or health or death or life, life is, the, is, is when the soul and the body merged and they became an entity. And that's a miracle that we got used to. Because the soul and the body are so different. If you think it's you know, a marriage, sometimes you look at a couple and you say, oh my God, you know, God has a sense of humor. Well, if that's the case, the body and the soul are like, not men are from Mars and women are from Venus. It's like complete different things. The body is just earth, earth. Pick up, the, that's what the body is. That's all it is. And the soul is this spiritual entity. 
And when they are together, they, they affect each other. They're not just living under the same roof. They, they become a new entity that we call nefesh. Death is when everyone goes back home. Death, death is the get. I can't take this anymore. Enough. So everyone goes back to where it came from. The nefesh, the body goes back to the earth. The soul goes back to God. And life is when they are merged together. That's nefesh and that's life. And that's called a person. Can I ask a question? Is ne- does nefesh stand alone without the rest of the neshama and without the body? Does it exist on its own? Or so the way I am translating nefesh in the Torah, no, it does not. Very good. Now, Yafa, you're not wrong when you say that nefesh is one of the names of the soul. And Kabbalah, when we're speaking, it's correct. But, it's a, but in the Chumash, when, when we speak about life or, or nefesh or a person, when you speak about a person, the definition of a person is not the body, it's not the soul, it's only that which exists when they are combined together. Which therefore, in Judaism, and just logically, it leads us to that if God wants to punish or reward the person, that can only happen here. Because it is the person that's in service of God, not the body, not the soul, but the person. And therefore, since we believe in punishment and reward, it must take place over here. Even though in the pre-Mashiach world, clearly there is no punishment and reward yet in this world. So without Olam Ganem, Ganem is not the ultimate punishment and reward. It must be what we would call the resurrection. Let me share with you a beautiful analogy that the Talmud gives. There was a close friendship between the Jewish leader around 180 years after the Second Temple was destroyed. He was the man who actually put together the Mishnah. His name was Rebbe Yehuda, but there were many Rebbe Yehudas. We called him Rebbe Yehuda the Nasi, Rebbe Yehuda the King, or Rebbe Yehuda the Prince. Or in brief, Rebbe, which is Rebbe Yehuda. Now he developed a relationship with the representative of the Caesar whose headquarters then was in Tiberias. Not the Caesar in Rome, but we called him the Caesar because he was what they would call their governor or their ambassador, but he was the representative of the Caesar. He was Roman then. He was a Roman, he was a non-Jew. He had a very, Rome then was very, very uh, antagonistic towards the Jewish people. Was this Antoninus? Antoninus. Mm -hmm. We have a tradition that perhaps even Antoninus converted to Judaism, which is amazing. It's like the Pope becoming Jewish. It's like something of that, of that sense. It's like he was the head anti-Judaism. He became Jewish. The Talmud speaks about how he dug a tunnel under his palace to under the home of Rabbeinu HaKadosh because he wanted to learn. And he himself was afraid of what would happen to him if it would be discovered that he's going to learn Torah. With many details, this is an amazing part of our history. And, and when Antoninus was wondering about this strange phenomenon of the resurrection. Like, you guys really mean it? Like, really, really? It's not just a metaphor that even after someone passes away, at, at some point they will come back? So Rabbi says, yeah, that, that's a tenant in Judaism. Many people verbally are comfortable with Tchiyas Amesim, but when you speak about Tchiyas Amesim to people, it's, it's such a strange thing that I would say frightens most people. It's a frightening thing. Right, your mother, my father, when they would come back, it would be very happy, but it would be a little bit scary. I would tell them, don't tell me what happened over there. I don't want to know. Like, so I'm like, like, keep it to yourself. 
First, they'll take back his apartment. That's the first thing. They'll take him back all the real estate values. It's going to be, oh. But the thing is, is that after he'll take it back from my mom, his father will take it back from him. I mean, this is going to go back to Adam. It's going to be a whole... It's going to be interesting. It's, it's, it's a little bit spooky. Huh? Well, oh man, there's gonna be it's gonna be a whole new world if you think there's politics now. It's gonna be freilach. But but he gave him such a good analogy. I just want to speak about the nefesh and life and medicine and how we view it. That he says like this says there was a king. King had an orchard, and the orchard had beautiful fruits. And it was so beautiful that the king understood that people will desire to steal it. That's that's the life that we live in. If you have something that has no value, then no one wants it. But neither do you. The moment you finally get something valuable, people are jealous, people are envious, and people sometimes go and take it. So we needed a guard. But the king understood, I'm just adding my own two cents because I'm from Brazil, you guys are from Mexico, that the guards are the biggest gun of them. Be most afraid of the guards. So he, so he got two guards. One was lame, she can't move, and one was blind. But the guards, you know, you know, like a scarecrow. So people will see there are two guards. The kid said, the king comes the next morning, there's no fruit left. All the fruit is gone. And the king understood, the guards took it. So he goes over to the lame. Lame is he can't move, he can't walk. He says, why did you steal the fruit? He says, I stole the fruit, I can't even walk. How would I steal the fruit? So he goes over to the blind man. The blind man says, I can't see. How would I steal it? Why are you suspecting me? Now what really happened? Last night, they made a partnership. The lame guy sat on the shoulders of the blind. So the blind had feet, but he doesn't know where to go. The lame guy is telling him, go to the right, go to the left, and they stole it together. The king understood that they were only able to misbehave as a partner, as an entity. So the king took the lame, he sat him on top of the blind, and he whipped them like that. Once he, he took retribution when they were together. So Rabbeinu HaKadosh Rebbe tells Antoninus that, imagine, he says, the soul will come in front of God. And God will begin to judge the soul. The soul says, me? I sinned? What, I ate non-kosher? I can't eat. Soul cannot eat. He'll please say, I did nothing that you're telling me that I did. So God is going to come to the body. The body will tell God, look at me. Look at me. I can't budge. I'm lame. can't move. So in order to, to, to judge, you have to put them back together. Now, it, it, it's, it's a nice story for youngsters learning it, but it's, it's much more than what it appears. So that's the point of Tchiyas That's the point that the Rebbe wrote, that it must be. Once he already, he got Antoninus to accept mm-hmm. that based on the fact that there is the origin of the universe is a being that did it for a purpose, and therefore our actions have consequence. It's a whole buildup. Once a person accepts that there is divine reward and punishment, so it has to be logically, there's going to have to be Tchiyas because in the world that we live in right now, there isn't reward and punishment. You don't have to be a theologian to understand that. Look in the world. You see good people that suffer. You see bad people that have... There isn't... Divine reward and punishment does not exist now. So let's say... So it's going to be. When? It has to be here. So let's say if someone does keep it up aim, right? And yep. it's love for a long life. That's not reward on this So even, where the, even when the Torah says a long life... We're getting a little bit off track, but let me tell you what happened. There was a Jew by the name of Elisha ben Avuha. He was one of the teachers of Rabbi Meir. He was a great man. And he once witnessed a father seeing a nest. 
that had in it a mother and chiclets or a mother and eggs, and it was ownerless. It met all of the criteriums for the mitzvah of sending the mother bird away, which is a mitzvah that we'll leave for another time. There's an interesting mitzvah that if you see in the wild, not that you own it, it's ownerless. A kosher species bird sitting on top of the, the children or eggs, you send the mother away and you take the children. And the trader writes that if you do that, you'll have a long life. By Kibbut Ava'im, it says in the Ten Commandments that you'll have a long life. So we saw a father telling his son, look, there is a nest, go do the mitzvah. So he took a ladder, he did the mitzvah, and on the way down, the son tripped, fell, and died. And this is the biggest challenge we have with uh, God. The biggest challenge of faith is, you know, why do bad things happen? But this became not only a challenge on God, but a specific challenge on the scripture. Because it says in the Torah, Kibadava Aim, long life. It says in the Torah, the only two times long life is Shiluach HaKain. Here you have a Jew that did both, and right away he died. Right away he died. So he became a heretic. A heretic? He, he said that if that's the case, the whole thing is not true. And what happened was, is that Rabbi Meir continued to be a student. It's, a, it's an amazing story. And everyone else told Rabbi Meir, how can you learn from someone who, he, he was a real heretic. That means he, uh, he did not keep any, he went dafka. He did not keep any mitzvah. Rabbi Meir followed him the whole time. Then one time, and this, this Jew was still very spiritual, so he heard what's happening in the next world. So Rabbi Meir asked him, what did you hear today? He says, I heard today God declaring, my sons return to me. Everyone, but not you. His, they called him the other one. We didn't. We called him Acher after he became a heretic. God says, "Shuvu bandum shuvavim chutz ma'acher." Can you imagine hearing God saying, "Everyone, come back to me, but not Acher." The Rebbe says that Acher should have returned anyways, even though God said that, because God was saying that when you're called Acher, I don't want you. Stop being Acher. Go back to be Elisha. Go back to be a Yid. Anyways, this is a whole interesting part. Of, these are big questions. But coming back, life, when we speak about life, don't think about a soul. A soul is a soul. The body is a body. Life is the merging of, is the connection. It's a partnership. It's, look at yourself like a, like a corporation. We're schizophrenics because of that. We're not one being. We're not one being. We are, um, we are two beings put together. We don't even remember how it is to be one without the other. And we're not meant to remember. We are meant to know one thing that once they are together, we call that nefesh. And there's a unique holiness only because they are together. So it's not like when the soul leaves the body, well, the soul then becomes even holier. Yes and no. Yeah, the soul goes to a different world. It's not tainted by their earthliness. Fine. But there's something special of the connection. And when we are pursuing medicine, we are pursuing to give continuity to that connection. But the only way you can give continuity to that connection, because it's between two entities, so if there's a, if there's a break between two, make believe you're a marriage counselor. It's a good analogy. And, and the marriage will be, there's a man and a wife. And, and, and they, have to, they have to work together. And if there's a breakdown, so I'm asking you, who do you work on? You have to work on both. Now, every case is a case. Sometimes, you know, practically, you figure it'll be easier to work on the him or easier to work on the her. Working on both doesn't mean that 50-50. 
but both are needed for the healing because if the goal is the union and if there is a breakdown in the union then you gotta you gotta figure out you gotta deal with both which is also why in medicine there are two general types of medicines oh i'm going back just why the talmud didn't use that much western medicine because there is the medicine that deals only with the body which is western medicine it only deals with the body it's not dealing with the soul And then you have spiritual healing, which is also not spoken about too much over here. Spiritual healing is where you only deal with the soul. Spiritual healing will be like making a mishabera. That's pure spiritual healing because the person saying to him, the person is far away. You're not even near them. Not like Habdul Reiki where you're nearby. You're not even, you're, they're far away. You don't even know what they look like. You mentioned their Jewish name, Ben, their mother's name. That's the way you touch that soul and you somehow infuse more power in the soul with the intention. It's like, I gotta go back to a bad marriage that even though one party is so dysfunctional, but if the other side is gonna bear all the responsibility, which is not healthy, and they're gonna do all the work, then it, you can make it better. That's spiritual healing. But that's not the correct model. The correct model is you have to deal with both. And in the soul and the body, there's a percentages of is it a 50-50? It's 100-100. Right. Let me ask you in a marriage. Is it 50-50? No. Here you go. Every party has the right to say, I'm 100%. With the other. No, it's the contribution that one party brings. Is, you're not competing with the other one. Let's make sales. Well, I sold, we sold this month uh, half a million dollars. I sold 250 and you sold 250. No. You're the salesman and I'm the internal administrator. It's that type of partnership. It's where everyone is, is, is it's a, it, bringing a whole different thing to the table. And together you have a corporation. Mm. Nefesh, life, a person, a person. Just when you say the word person, don't think body, don't think soul. It's something unique that we know, we're, we, we just know ourselves as a person. We don't remember how it is to be me, just a soul. Most people hopefully don't remember that. And it's not good to remember that because that's already a disconnect from the body. I think when a person is dying, they begin to remember. That's sad. So ah, Zahara is really good. Huh? So Yitzhahara is really no, good. No, I don't think... Life, kind of? I don't think... Don't say the word Yitzhahara. But you don't remember... Most people don't remember what it was to be in, in Gan Eden. Because in Gan Eden, you did not have a body. I have a question. There's instances that happen, it happened to me. I, I, um, when, like, say someone faints or passes out. Yeah. And then they... You can see your... Like it's like your spirit connected on a silver line, like up in the corner room, looking down. I've actually experienced that. So okay, is is that your soul? Yep. Yeah. So you have a memory of a, memory. of a soul without a body, disembodied. But we were still connected. Okay, but still disembodied, yeah. connected from above. Out of body experience. Out of body experience. Yes. Okay, and the goal is for the soul to be in the body. And to make that happen, that's what I'm getting at, that the ultimate medicine is not something that only deals with the body, it's not something that only deals with the soul, but it's something that touches both. So it's that part of counseling where they're not he's going by himself and she's going, but they're sitting in front of one counselor that's speaking to the couple. What does that? Food. It's very important. Food is not just physical. 
there's a Pasek in the Torah that's so powerful, the word says, Ki lo It's not from bread alone does man live. Ki al kol pi Hashem Man lives on the word of God. Now when you read that verse, what does it sound like? You're telling a person, don't think that all you need is just uh, food. You need ruach. You need some spirituality. That's the simple meaning of the verse. The deeper meaning of the verse, says the Adizal, is that when you eat food, how does food keep you alive? If food would only be physical, then it would only connect to the physical part of our person. Then how would it keep us alive when life is body and soul? So the Pasuk says that in the bread, there is the word of God. In the bread, there is a soul. In the bread, there is a spiritual aspect that's similar to our soul. And the physical part of the food is similar to our body. And they have the power, just like they are. It's like if you want to help a couple, sometimes plant a couple amongst other couples that are functioning well. So they become inspired. They see, by the way of osmosis, how things should work. So food, so food has an effish. Food has an effish, that's okay. fair. Don't say an effish. I'm going back. No, no. Okay. Food, food has a... Uh, has so I'm, right. I'm using P. the word nefesh. Food is a nefesh. Right. So P. So. So Pia Shem has the words of Hashem and then it has the physical part. And so right. I think there needs to be a glue in between, which for a human would be a nephew. So are we taking that same nephew? No, 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 no. Wait, one second, one second. Okay. When they are glued together, they're called a nephew. They become the nephew. They become the nephew. The and food is a great um, mirror nephew. Yeah, the bread is not the same type of body as the human brain is. Mm-hmm. But the food is, is, a, is a mixture, is a combination of physical and a soul. And therefore, when I eat it, it both strengthens not only my body and my soul, but it strengthens the connection between them. That's why we have to eat kosher. Oh, I'm getting to that. And also we say, uh, yeah. And in order for me to better bring out this godly, the godliness in the food, I make a bracha. So the making of the bracha is allowing me to, with greater ease, connect to the, to the soul of the, of the food. Is it? It, in order for the physical part of the food to better connect with me as a Jew, it has to be kosher. Which is why a lot of the medicine in the Gemara is a diet-based medicine. It's not an intrusive medicine, which is sometimes needed. But that's what we were learning last week and two weeks and three weeks ago. It's simply, it's eating. And we know this, especially we would call this as preventive medicine, change your diet. Mm-hmm. And what are we looking for? So, you know, homeopathy is very, very already detail-oriented. This type of plant is exactly connected to me. Good. But in general, eating food and when I'm eating the food, my awareness that the food has two parts to it that became one. And they are connected. And that will fortify the connection between my soul and my body that comes about through food. So many halachas about food. So, so many medicines in the Gemara about food. And just to read one story, to read some of inside. And we're all learning about medicine. And in the middle of medicine, just a story about kosher. Because that's medicine. There was, there was this wealthy Reish Galusa. Reish Galusa was the Jewish 
um, let's say, quasi-king in Babylonia. The Babylonians allowed the Jews to self-govern. I can almost say the way in France they allowed the, the Muslims to self-govern. That's your neighborhood and go do whatever you want to with it. Deal with it on your own. In America, it's not allowed at all. But the way the culture in Babylonia was when the Jewish people were there, and many of us were there, there were large parts of Babylonia. We pay tax to the king. But there was self-governance. We needed to deal with our own troublemakers on our own. We'd never called the Babylonian police. They were, never, they, were, they were not available. We also needed to pay a tax for the local government that was run by Jews. And the head of the government was called the Reish Galuta, the head of the Jews in the diaspora. He was a king. He, had, he was a government. And at that time, the greatest rabbi was a Jew by the name of Rav Sheshes. And Absheshes, who normally would have dined, at least on special occasions, eat together with the king, he stopped eating in his house. The classical challenge of a from a Jew, what do you do? That's not kosher. And, Omar, and, and he tells him, my tamali sod man garbon. Why is it that master doesn't eat with us? So he tells the Reish Galusa, because the ovid ma'alu avdi, because you're... Your servants, your servers, the kitchen staff are not virtuous. That I suspect them that they would sometimes take a limb of an animal before they slaughtered the animal, which is a prohibition not only for a Jew, even for an Andrew. Bachlal, the kashras of an organization, you go to a restaurant, who is going to determine whether it's kosher or not? The mashgiach in the kitchen. Obviously, if the, the, the organization on top is not knowledgeable or if they don't care, there's going to be a breakdown in the kashas. But even when you have the greatest system, it's up to the mashgiach. I'm not speaking about the quality of the food. It's like, who, how will the food taste good? It's up to the chef. You can be the most generous uh, restaurant owner and your mission will be to make the most tastiest foods and you're willing to spend the greatest of money. If the chef is not good, Right? Then the food won't come out good. Begashmias, Beruchmias, the Mashgiach has a tremendous role in the kashras of a restaurant. Parenthetically, the reason why you know, we consider different kashras organizations to be on different levels has nothing to do with is the person on top a learned person. I would say that from the, there are learned people in the city that are maybe the greatest Talmud Chachamim in the city. But people don't rely that much on their kashras organizations because of the quality mashgichim that they have. I'm saying right away. And that's an important thing to know. Many times I, know I don't want to get into politics of being recorded, but why don't we eat in this restaurant or that? Why don't we rely on that hashgacha? And we know the owner of the hashgacha and it's great Jews. Mamash, great, holy Jews, like anyone else. But uh, I, I would even word it this way. The, the kashras is a catch-22. You have a kosher restaurant, you want, to get a, you want to get a good mashgiach, but they charge a lot of money. So you go to other ones that charge less. But why do they charge less? Because they pay their mashgiacham less. If you would pay the mashgiacham more, how can you charge less? Who do you attract when you pay less? People that are not that qualified. That's the challenge over here. But coming back over here. So he tells them that I don't trust your kitchen staff. And therefore the food is not kosher. How do you know? Prove it to me. So this is what he did. 
And it's a whole story that, that they were preparing a lamb. <coughs> now, unlike today, you go to the supermarket, you buy a little uh, cut of meat. There, they took a lamb and they shechted the lamb and they put it on the spit. And this was the Reish Galusa. It means when he had a meal, the government had a meal. It wasn't two people. It was probably 400 people that ate. And they went through an animal. So he told, Rab told his yeshiva guys, when they're, right before they begin cooking it, steal an entire uh, leg. And While it's alive? No, no, after the, before, before they began preparing it. Oh. Now, one of the ways that fancy people would present food is bringing it out, the whole, the whole thing, after it was prepared. And Apsheshus was blind. That's disgusting, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I'm vegetarian now. <laughs> okay, so, so Apsheshus was blind, and he went for this meal. So the servants didn't care that a leg is missing, because... The main guest is blind anyway, so they bring out this three-legged lamb. And Apsheshis asks the people to describe the, the, the meal that was brought out. So they describe him that you brought out a three-legged lamb. So he says, is it respectful that someone like me comes and you serve up as a deformed lamb? Please bring out the fourth leg. Because he put pressure on them. Now they needed to perform. But they didn't have a fourth leg. The fourth leg was hidden. So they quickly went and they just took a leg off another animal. And they prepared it and they brought it out. And he showed the Reish Galusa, which by the way, coming back to Kashmir's of a kitchen, the challenge that you have in a restaurant, which we don't have in our homes. In our homes, if you run out of an ingredient, big deal, okay? So you'll have a lot of pizza for supper. When you have a restaurant and people are waiting and there's an ingredient that's missing, you are under pressure. And you have to order something. And what happens if they don't deliver what you ordered? I'm just giving you the down-to-earth things that happen. That is where you have to have a very strong mashgiach that, is, that, that will in, interfere in saying this is not kosher or not kosher on our standard. And that, that's, that's where many, many, many come, issues come about. When you start putting pressure and there's an urgency and there's a lack in what, the substitution. I would never do it but now that I need it, you know, you got to help me figure it out. And, and bottom line is, is that, is that one of the ways we prolong the connection between the soul and the body is by eating kosher. Now let me just finish with very one important caveat. And that is like this, that aside of the Jewish soul, we have a human soul, a natural soul. The natural soul, to be connected to the body, doesn't eat kosher. Goyim, if they eat healthy, can have a long life from eating a good diet. When I'm speaking about the person, the connection of the soul and the body, for a yid, we're speaking about the Jewish soul. For that, you need to have kosher food, dafka. And non-kosher food is like you're starving your Jewish soul, but you might not be aware of it because you feel full. So if a person is hungry then, like physically hungry, then does their neshama suffer? Well, if a person is physically hungry and they eat non-kosher food, then their Jewish soul still feels starved. If a person eats nothing? Personally, we, we don't advocate that unless it's being done for health reasons. No, but meaning, do we need food in order to feed our, our neshama? We, we need food in order to keep the soul connected to the body. When the soul is divested from the body, it doesn't need food. So in a famine, do, do neshamas suffer? The connection suffers. The connection suffers. The connection, not the neshama itself. 
the neshama needs the Buddha in order to be connected Connected to the body. But you can't hurt the neshama, right? You can't. The, you cannot hurt. The neshama, I'm sorry, the, the soul, like the spark of godliness cannot be. The core, the core, the essence of the spark can never be hurt, can never be stained. But, but, while it's invested in the body, it's, it's garbed in certain garments, and those garments could be soiled, and when you are garbed in a soiled garment, you, you get uncomfortable. You can just take it off, but while we are alive, it doesn't want to take it off. The whole goal is to be connected. Many, you know, Pesach Sheni, many people gave matzah. Matzah is heals, says in the Zoyer. How does matzah heal? Now you understand how it heals. Because the goal of healing is to prolong life. The definition of life is to keep these two entities connected. So the matzah maybe doesn't, is not that sophisticated as far as how it touches the body. Like good medicine is going to be very detail-oriented to the body part of the person. Kosher food is very detail-oriented to the soul of the person. And super kosher is matzah. I would say that, just connected to Lagba Eimer, that the, the greatness of Rabbi Shimon by Yechoi, and the minute that we make fires, you think about it. What's a fire? What is a fire? You know what a fire is? When you're looking at a fire, and people, people can stare at a fire forever. You can mamish fire, water, certain things you can look at and look at when you see these fires, is that when you take away the, fu- the, 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 the fuel, or you take away the wick, where does a fire go to? Like if the, if the cup is not here, then it went somewhere. What happens when you take away the fuel? What happened to the fire? Then it's extinguished. The fire that we see is only in existence when it's connected to something physical, to fuel, to a wick. It's a being. Now, the, the energy of the fire doesn't disappear. You know, it, it, it just it goes somewhere, but it's no longer what we know of. Fire is a great example of almost something spiritual. Fire, right? It's not tangible. The wick is very tangible. And Dafka, when they're together, there's this beautiful thing called fire. That's why it says that the, the soul of God is the Jewish neshama. And let me just make that clear. According to what we're learning, it's not the neshama per se. It's the neshama here in this world. Because a candle is the combination of both. A candle is a combination of some spiritual type of fire. But when it's connected to something tangible, to a wick, then it manifests. And you're seeing this new entity. If you take away the wick or you take away something tangible or at least gas, something which is more tangible than the nothingness that is without the gas then you, the fire won't be able to be here. It's going to go somewhere. What do you mean it goes somewhere? Well, I mean it goes somewhere. Fire doesn't, it doesn't disappear. The words are is that under the galgal of the moon, that's where the source of the fire is. I mean, the pure energy of fire, no energy completely disappears. It just transforms itself into something else. You have a candle that's burning on a wick. Yeah. And you go and put it out. The fire goes yeah, the, 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 the soul of the fire went someplace else. Yeah. Klein talks about it, that we have bodies of water and we have air and we have earth, but the only element that, we do, that doesn't have a home, like a forest of fire, it's fire. It's, and it's a chesed to the world. It's a what to the world? It's a kindness. It's a chesed, but we don't have forests of fire, like we have oceans. 
No, 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 no. So the, the words in Kabbalah is, is that the center, the home of fire, is, is somewhere in the atmosphere. That's why when, they, when something goes from here to the moon, Mamish goes through fire. It goes through. Whatever that is called. We call that it's under the goggle of the moon. It's one of the outermost atmospheres is the home of fire. And it doesn't look like a fire because it doesn't have a connection with the body. Back to the Galgo thing. <laughs> I like that. And the final, just the final, we'll stop with this, is that Torah, the Torah, is, is mamish medicine. Because the Torah is the merging of God, God, and this world. When God connects to the world, so when the soul connects to a body, you have a living person, you have a nefesh. When God is connected to this world, you have a living Torah. The Torah has in it words and letters and it deals with worldly things. And in the Torah, you have God's wisdom. And it's connected in the Torah. And especially the hidden part of the Torah, the inner part of the Torah. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, that was the master of the inner part of the Torah, we, we mark his life by making a big fire here by celebrating this, this shidduch of something non-tangible, something spiritual, with the, with, with, with the physical. That's a fire, and that's the Torah on a higher level, and that's a yid who has a godly soul and a, and a human body. Godly soul and a human body, and we become one being, we become a nefesh, nefesh chai, living being. And our mission of preservation of life and of healing is giving continuity to this shidduch. And when something is off, it's definitely important to identify, is it primarily he or she? I mean, we go to a marriage. Is it the body or is it the soul? Many times it's not the body. Many times it's something that's off, that has to be rectified. Which is why many times tzaddikim, they would give a bracha, and many times tzaddikim would say, go to a doctor. Many times that tzaddik would sense that this is more, I can deal with the spiritual part of it. And then it's going to merge again together. Many times he feels it's more about the, the physical part of it. A person breaks a bone, you don't go to a tzaddik, you go to an orthopedic surgeon and you fix your bone. Because the problem is clearly of the physical. So is, do you think chitas is like a medicine or like a multivitamin? I think it's a medicine. No, I'm serious. Um, it's, a, it's, a medi- it's a medicine. It's, it's a one a, size fits all, right? Well, I would not say that because everyone understands it differently. What do you think? I think it's a big medicine. I think there's so many stories with the Rebbe, with illnesses. Torah, Torah heals. Torah literally heals people. Learning Torah heals people. Learning Torah gives people a longer life. This I can tell you from my experience. All of the greatest Torah sages of, of, my, of my time lived very long. My Rosh Hashivas, they lived until 100 and Sigilduk, all of the biggest, what's called the greatest people of the Orthodox world, they live into their hundreds. Many, many of them. And these are people that never took care of their health. Like, you have no idea. Like, they never exercised. They never cared about what healthy food is. They're, 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 this connection was maintained by them. Because they're connected to Torah. So what about those that are connected to Torah? Yeah, but you have all of that correct question. So what is that? That's Golos. That's exile. That's when things are not the way they should be. Many things are not the way they should be.
with ourselves, by making ourselves the way we should be. So if enough of us will make ourselves the way we should be, then the world will become the way it should be. The world is made out of people. But again, this will be like the final, just at least going back to the intro, that almost all the medicine will be food-related. Food, 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 eat this, eat this, eat this. Drama man is all about food. And when you look at that, don't just look at the physical part of the food. It's not just about, ah, you have a healthy diet. We're not only looking to heal the body. The body is not sick. We view sickness as some sort of disconnect in the corporation. Look at it that way. The body is not one being. The body is two beings together. So if something is off, you have to just begin with that premise. You're not fixing the body. You're not fixing the heart. You're fixing the connection of the soul to the heart. That's a whole different, a whole different verbiage. It's a whole different premise. Does the summim fall in the same category? Summim, for sure. Summim is going to be a, a great, another great way of keeping the connection because summim is not that tangible, mm-hmm. which means it's close to the soul, but it's tangible enough that your nose can smell it. Uh-huh. Crystals know because they're. Yes, I don't know. I didn't say. I know that scent. I know that the the book that King Solomon wrote that had the remedies for all the illnesses in the world, the book of Rafoys was aromatherapy. Mm-hmm. That's what we have. Wow. That's how powerful aroma. Now it's very subtle. If there's a major breakdown in the body, I don't know. Maybe it might be too late. But as a. That's so interesting. I can't go to sleep if there's a smell in my room. When you go to sleep, it's a one sixtieth of, of death. death. So I'm wondering if I'm just so sensitive to that slight disconnect. You don't want to go to sleep. I Could don't be. Want to go to sleep. Could be. I cannot go to sleep. Hmm. Go You're going to say aromatherapy for sure. It's only going to grow as time goes on, and no doubt about it. Can you imagine? No intrusion. Person is ill. It's interesting how, let's say, with coronavirus, that you the lose your smell, smell and taste. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Right. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real illness. It's not fake news. It's <laughs> not good. It's not good. <laughs> but obviously, what's a spiritual, con- uh, whatever. whatever. I'm just saying the whole coronavirus with redemption and I don't know. like what There's something, there's there's something deeper going on there. There must be a source illness in Shemines. A spiritual illness, that, right? Is that what you're saying? Let me let me let me let me word by saying. Let me let me word by Yafna saying in different in, in, in a, from a different angle. I'm saying the same thing from the other side of the coin, that that when a person who had the virus who lost their scent, who lost their sense of smell, that recapturing your sense of smell signifies a tremendous healing property. It's a it's it's of tremendous significance to get it back to get, it back, to get back your sense of smell. You know, I want you know in Yiddish, it's interesting how different cultures have. When 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 a person, when a person cannot define why I find that to be good or not good, they say it smells good. They use that as a like a sixth sense, mm-hmm. like uh, I, like even in English, sense. Well, I don't know, yeah, yeah. Smell. Doesn't smell okay. Something smells fishy. Something smells fishy. That's that's an expression that's very much used by Yidin from Ashkenazi because but it's an intuition. It's an intuition because it's something you're you're touching already. There's something soulful, mm-hmm. but you're not just speaking about the soul. You're speaking about the way the soul is connected here. Mm-hmm. So Hashem should help that we should make big fires. Big fires means that we're we're connecting a lot of ruchnias into a lot of wood, into a lot of uh, fuel. That's our goal. Our goal of preservation of life is to keep these two entities connected, to connect the spiritual and the body. 
That's what we, that's the goal. And that will be the end. The end is, is that it, the connection will be so strong that those who passed away, they're going to come back. That's how powerful the connection is going to be. And then we'll deal with all the fun that that will bring about. Good. Thank you.